0: Greg, um, I just want to say thanks again so much for taking the time to talk with us about this year's IBCD Training Institute. We are so excited about this lineup of teachers coming to train us this year, and you are one of them. You're going to be guiding us through an, an understanding of some narrowly defined identities, such as educational status, physical fitness, and even the role defined by um, having a military status, can you share one of your thoughts on how each one of these identities misses the mark, biblically speaking?
1: Sure. You know, it's, it is hard as a professor who is formerly in the military to be able to get this right personally. And as a professor, you, you have an unexpected expectation or unspoken expectation, rather, that you're finishing your terminal degree, that you're making scholastic contributions, and and educating students, helping them pursue master's degrees and bachelor's degrees, and the common fault is that we are our education, or that somehow we are or are not based off of what our education is or is not, and so biblically, just to try and say where some of this goes off is that uh, one of the biggest concerns I see is that I'm spiritually qualified or spiritually mature because I have an education. Or that maybe I'm lacking something spiritually because I'm not done with my terminal degree yet. And so what that means is that maybe I'm inferior. I haven't arrived. And so there's there's one is I think through fitness, uh, you know, personally, it's now trying to walk the fine balance of what is stewardship and what does it mean to be fit? and. To be a steward doesn't necessarily mean that I am physically fit. I can be a good steward and not be physically fit. I'll hope to try and explain some of that in my breakout sessions. But to find my identity and a wrong understanding of fitness and equating that to stewardship is dangerous. And then of course, military. Military is really slippery. You know, military is a vocation, but it's not only a vocation, it's more of a subculture to a certain degree you're living with these people, you're working with these people, you're doing recreation with these folks. And so what begins to take place is I identify myself by this vocation in this subculture. And so we see a great shock when military members actually leave their military service to go toward a civilian life because their identity has been so connected to that subculture of the military. And biblically, our identity can't be found in our vocation. No matter how grandiose of a vocation it may be, it still must be grounded in Christ and grounded in our position as children of God. So there's there's still as as great of a career or as great of a a service as military may be, it's it's still not a a solid foundation upon which we can build our identity. Is there a difference between identification with military for people that are in service versus people that are in combat situations? Yes, I would say naturally that combat, you know, combat's even tiered. Uh, you can be deployed to a combat zone and not necessarily have experienced a firefight. You were, you were deployed, but not in a life-threatening situation. So there's even kind of tiers of what combat looks like. So the, the absolute truth is that, sure, you're pushed together in unity, kind of this esprit de corps, with individuals who you're just trying to survive and you develop a brotherhood and sisterhood, not because you were desiring that, but because you you clung so closely together for just some of the basic necessities of sharing food, sharing warmth, uh, sharing resources, protecting each other. And in a very real sense, you depended on each other. So that camaraderie is really hard to duplicate in a garrison setting. Just the urgency is not there. The drive to cling to each other is not there. The dependency on each other is not there. So definitely would say that uh, a greater temptation could be found in a combat veteran finding their identity in other experiences or with other men and women who have experienced similar things.
0: Um, That I am military identity is interesting in light of the plenary topic you will also address. I am a child. Men and women who serve in the military have a shared loyalty and a mutual purpose, common goal, that seem to provide them with a sense of belonging. However, you said that our status in the family of God is what should inform our identity. Would you talk for a few minutes about some of the challenges of identity for veterans living in civilian life?
1: There is literally, it feels like a, a culture shock that takes place when you leave active duty military service, and you're discharged, and you go into civilian life. Uh, Everything from your schedule, I remember waking up at 530, no one was prompting me to wake up, just wake up and think it's time to start my day. I remember thinking that everybody should be as timely as I am, and that, you know, even becoming mildly judgmental of those who work 10 minutes early, because if you're not 10 minutes early, you're late, even beginning to think through uh, orderliness, cleanliness, dress, and appearance, you know, all of those things are highly regulated in the military, and it, it slowly just becomes a way of living. So those challenges, what begins to take place is there is this great culture shock because civilians don't think in that way. Civilians are living their life the way they've always lived their life, and and we're now coming fresh out of the military, transposing our military ideas onto what a civilian should be or shouldn't be doing. So the challenge then starts to be in terms of value. Uh, let me try and explain it a little bit more. That at times when you're leaving the military, you feel like you have this great mission, you're making a great contribution, and that your, your job mattered. And then you leave and you go bus tables, or you go wait tables. And there's this great incongruency in your mind to where in in one moment you're thinking like, wow, I really had this value and I really had this contribution that I was making. And then now I'm here waiting tables and I don't feel like I'm making as great as a contribution. Even if I was just pulling guard duty overseas, it was still part of a greater mission. So what takes place is that I begin to question, you know, what is my value? What is my purpose? What, what am I actually doing? How am I making a difference? So some of that, uh, Challenge isn't. I'm I'm not understanding the this false dichotomy between the sacred and the secular. There is no such thing as as somehow waiting tables being a less sacred idea, or bussing tables as being a less holy endeavor. You know that all things are done as an act of worship to God, even seemingly minuscule or seemingly unimportant things. So when I leave the military, what happens is I have this great crisis because I feel like I'm losing value. I'm doing these these meaningless tasks now and they're not part of a greater mission when in reality they should be part of a greater mission. They should be part of your identity being lived out as a child of God and as a child of God there's nothing that's meaningless in that sense that I can clean my dishes to the glory of God and that's part of my mission now. That's my identity and so for that that, it's like grinding gears. You have to be able to round that corner and to say No, even though I may have had a very real world tangible mission, when I'm leaving, I have to clarify my mission all along has been to be a child of God and to fulfill that purpose within the family of God. And if I'm doing that, I'm fulfilling my mission. I I have purpose. I'm creating value and contributing to value. And I'm not lacking something because now I'm out of the military doing what would be potentially uh, minuscule or seemingly unimportant things.
0: So identity in the military really resembles identity outside of the military. Your standing in the family of God remains the same. And then what your tasks are, they may change. Um, But again, your, your place in the family doesn't change. That's, that's really interesting. Just turning a little bit towards our biblical counselors that are going to be listening in and coming to the conference. How can we convey these important truths about identity without tempting counselees to fall into this hyper self-focus or as Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones used to say, into morbid introspection? How do, how do we do that?
1: I, I think this is a very important question because at times it feels like our conversations about identity are really just like a Christianized self-esteem movement. And what I mean by that is like, I am purchased. I am redeemed. I am a child of God. I am loved. And it's now the, the focus is being taken off of Christ and the centrality of the gospel. And it's actually being placed on me. Like those were all a means of making me a child of God and me loved and received and accepted and not condemned and so forth. So, it is important, and I do believe that there are errors in an overemphasis of our identity for the sake of our own understanding, for the sake of our own warmth and feelings that I want to have, uh, you know, we hide it behind this mask of security. But really, when Scripture talks about your identity, particularly I'm thinking of First John, the end of chapter 2, into chapter 3, it's that you're validating identity through righteous living. So what's that safeguard? How do I prevent it from being morbid introspection is that, you know, I would say First John is saying, how do you know that you're a child of God, that you practice righteousness? And so it's used as an evaluative measure of my actions, and it's used to prompt me towards righteous living. So it's not necessarily for the sake of knowledge, and it's not necessarily just for the sake of stability, but it's that that stability would prompt righteous living in your life. So at the point where it just becomes me you know, I am redeemed, I'm a child, it's about me. Well, No, no, it's about you living righteously, and the knowledge of your identity is to prompt you to do so. First John talks about assurance, and how do we know, and certainly righteous living is about that. Uh, it also seems that knowing who you are in Christ is the foundation for um, your identity in Christ, but also your righteous living. Yeah, I would agree with that, and I would even say that that you know that knowledge isn't an end in itself. And so right. Are I mean, this is verse twenty-nine. Uh, excuse me, verse twenty-eight of 1 John two. It says, "And now, little children, abide in Him, so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink in shame at His coming." So the confidence that we have is not an end in and of ourselves, but it's. It's now a confidence that propulses us towards righteous living and boldness, courageous Christian living. Amen.
0: (laughs) So take it to the counselee now. You're the counselor. What is one of the ways that that truth about your identity as a child of God inform your daily life?
1: Good. Yeah, this is is just a Gregism. And so I, I do recognize that God's word really strikes us differently whenever we talk about our identities, a big one for me is that my performance doesn't add to my position. So that being a child of God, according to First John and according to John, the Gospel John chapter 1, this is something God has done. God has caused me to be born again into a new family. So when I, I think about my actions and my performance, it's not unimportant. It's just not advancing my position in the family of God. And so that means that uh, I, I see myself as probably a bit more driven. And so I'm constantly trying to do that next thing and work on something next, filling all cracks of my time. But if the counselee were sitting across from me, they have to hear that our performance doesn't advance our position. It doesn't add to it. But you are, are a child of God. And because you are a child of God, that's what First John would now drive you towards because you are a child of God. That's why you live righteously. So I'm not advancing my own position through my performance. It's, it's an expression of my position.
0: So what do you want the attendees to take away from this conference?
1: I would hope that attendees would come away understanding the different aspects of their identity with my plenary session just being one of those. And particularly, how does understanding yourself to be a child of God uh, persuade you, propulse you, encourage you to make that demonstrably true? So I I say that because consistently, John points us back to knowing and confirming, making sure. And I hope that the, the person who is in attendance would be able to identify and understand what it means to be a child of God, and then practically, what do the biblical authors want us to do with that knowledge?
0: Thanks once again, just for sharing a little bit about the talks, for coming, for teaching us, and for helping to train our folks to embrace their true identity. We look forward to seeing you this summer. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Honored to be there. Thanks for listening to the Care and Discipleship Podcast. Be sure to join us for the Training Institute this June. You can register now at ibcd.org/slash identity. We hope to see you there.